Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about my sponsor, the Association of Commercial Professionals in the Life Sciences. I went to the genome meeting in San Diego last month and I walked around to the folks manning the booths in the exhibit hall and I asked them, if you were going to attend a meeting of marketing and salespeople in our industry, what would make it a must-attend event for you? And First of all, some folks were stunned that such a meeting even could exist. And I also got some interesting answers. For example, how do I drive revenue from marketing? How do I motivate both the high and low performers on my sales team? What are the considerations for U.S. companies regarding Latin America as part of their strategy? And what are the realities of doing business there? Where do our customers, the researchers, think their fields are going? How do I set pricing? And one person was simply excited for the chance to talk to other people in a position similar to hers. So there are many good reasons to join the ACPLS or at least get on the mailing list. The annual meeting in the fall will cover topics like the ones I just mentioned. And next month, ACPLS will release a salary report specifically for sales and marketing pros in the life science industry. So visit acp-ls.org and join or subscribe today. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. David Schifrin is the founder of Filament Life Science Communications, where he helps early-stage startups by crafting a unique and compelling story around their data, their technologies, and their ideas. He holds a PhD from Cell... He holds a PhD in Cell Biology from Vanderbilt University, And David is also a fellow traveler on this excellent adventure we call podcasting as the host of Science Writing Radio, where he sets a high bar for the quality of his interviews, and that uh, keeps me on my toes. So, David, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Hey, thanks so much, Chris. It's great to be here. It's a real pleasure to to talk with you. Likewise. So, I'm excited about this one. Um, Today, we're going to talk about startups again. So last week I interviewed Karen Cushman of Cushman Creative on branding for startups. And today we're going to talk about a little more, well, not more, but a critical event in the life of a startup. And that is pitching to investors for funding, which uh, is of course one of your first real marketing opportunities. So David, if you would, just to get started, can you describe for the listeners what what your role is in this process. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's a little, you've, you've set a high bar with, with Karen last week. Uh, it's scary to follow her. She's fantastic. But what I do at filament is come in and, and basically what you described crafting a clear and compelling message around the data, the idea the product and turning that into a story that scientists, scientific founders can make, uh, more m- make their work more accessible for the, their audiences, and so you know whether that's a potential partner in in development of the product or 
um, a potential customer, or in this case, what we'll be talking about today, you know, venture capitalists. A lot of times we as scientists assume that the data speaks for itself, uh, but that's usually not the case. And so I come in and kind of help bridge the gap between the technical information, the science, the data, and the, the story around it that uh, gets people to take action. Cool. So can you can you give an example of a story? I mean, I, I, obviously, I don't want you to give away anything you've been working on, but it, what what are the elements of a story when you're looking at someone's data and they have an idea like, oh, we could develop a process or a therapy or whatever it might be? How do you turn that data into a story? Yeah, so what we're talking about here really is just kind of that that classic idea in marketing where you want to start with the pain point uh, rather than what you're offering. And then once you have that pain point established, the gap in the market, then you can bring in your product, your idea as the solution. And so what what often happens with scientific founders is they start with their data, their idea, their product as the is the beginning point for this whole thing. And instead what they need to do is see that as the the mechanism uh, by which the problem is solved. And so, you know, this is like the classic example that everybody likes to use of, of the hero's journey, the story arc, whatever. Um, you know, Star Wars is probably the most commonly used example with Luke Skywalker having everything seeming normal and then everything falls apart. And then at that point, he goes through this long process to solve the problem using the Force. And, you know, that's not an interesting story if you just start talking about this ethereal force that lets people levitate objects. Instead, there's this this person behind it, Luke Skywalker. And so really in the example, you know, the product becomes, it's not a perfect example, but, but the product is the force. Um, and you don't need a bunch of data about uh, the physics behind all of this or the molecular pathway that you're dealing with. You want to know how does this solve problems? How does this help patients? How does this save time and money? Um, so if 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 we can get scientists to kind of make that tweak again from having their product or their idea being the focal point and instead making the pain the focal point um it you almost automatically fall into a story nice i actually i i love that of course you know i'm very familiar with the whole star wars story model but um the way you described it and the use of the force and how the product is is a tool that takes someone along their journey to solve a problem. I, I really like how you describe that. So you, you help companies create stories, but I understand recently you have gone a little bit beyond that and you've actually sought out some investors to find out from them how founders can be more successful in terms of the mechanics and the content of their pitch, right? That's correct. So in general, how are people doing? Well, I think overall people are doing okay. You know, there's any given VC firm is going to hear dozens, probably hundreds of pitches or at least read hundreds of summaries every year and only a very small number of those are going to get funded. So, you know, the the success rate is is always going to be pretty small because there's just not that much money. And, and there have been some numbers coming out recently um, suggesting that what had been for the last three or four years a pretty healthy biotech investment or life sciences investment landscape is is probably going to be contracting a bit over the next year or two. Um, that said, there are some things that 
that I've talked to investors about that will hopefully, you know, in- increase founders' chances of, of at a minimum getting a second conversation with these folks and, and maybe even getting, uh, getting some money, getting some checks written. Right. So I'm, I'm imagining like any product, it, the product itself doesn't stand alone and nor does your pitch. There are elements around that, that make, you know, a business successful. So, um, what what are the single what is the single biggest weakness that you hear from um, on, or uh, funders that um, entrepreneurs have when they're walking through the door? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, when I talk to uh, partners at VC firms, one of the biggest things, and I did get a couple of different answers, but one of the biggest things, conveniently enough for those of us in the communications and, and marketing sectors, it's that the scientific founders can't explain the science in a compelling way. Um, and, and, you know, so what that means is, again, like we talked about before, the data doesn't necessarily speak for itself, especially when you're in front of investors who don't come from your specific field. Uh, and in many cases don't have uh, the same kind of scientific background. So you have to be able to express how your data translates into something that is you know, better or different and significantly so than what exists. And, and how is that going to turn into a product that people uh, will buy? Because the, the thing that we have to remember is when we go to a conference as scientists, we, we want good, solid data that's going to move the needle on our area of research. And it may be an incremental step forward. Investors want minimized risk and they want a big ROI down the road, you know, I mean, 10x or more. And so you have to be able, again, to create that compelling story. That's, that's the biggest thing. And if, if you're interested, I can, I can tell you about a couple of the other things that, uh, a couple of other themes that came up commonly in some of the answers, but that's one of the big ones. Sure. So, you know, it makes sense. These people, are, you know, they're in the business of investment. As scientists, we start to think about, you know, this is a cool new technology and look at all these things you could do with it. But that that itself is not sufficient. It's what is one thing that this technology can do that's going to make me a lot of money. Exactly. Right. And that's that's kind of a different thing um, because you need a very well-defined problem, a well-defined audience, big enough that people want to pay for it and – different enough from whatever else is out there that it's worth people switching because there's always that barrier, right? Even if you have a better technology than someone else, there's always a cost change. Right. And, and what you're describing there is really important. I think it's for, important for all of us, regardless of whether or not we're going in front of investors or doing anything else, else in our lives, but that's to focus. You have to be really, really clear on what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, if you start going all over the place and running off on tangents or, you know, in the case of a pitch, you know, it's not necessarily the best thing to, to go out and say, we could do this or we could do this or we could, you know, have half a dozen or 10 different options. You need to have a really clear focus. Right. Yeah. So how about one other thing? Just what, what would be the next thing on your list as um, a challenge for, life science entrepreneurs when pitching to investors. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, this will probably ruffle some feathers, but the, the one word answer is going to be humility. And that in some cases in, with some investors that I spoke with, it they actually mean arrogance. They see arrogance and people coming, coming through the door uh, to pitch them. But you know, beyond that, it means just having a willingness to know what you know and what you need help on. So going out and being willing to ask questions of mentors, um, asking questions of, of the VC firms themselves. In a lot of cases, they have the ability to kind of help streamline some of the, some of the different things you might be challenged with. And, and the biggest thing that came up over and over in these conversations with regards to humility is being willing and being prepared to bring on a really good team. So if you're a scientific founder, you have to have somebody on board who understands the business side of it. Um, you know, you want to have access to resources for intellectual property make sure that your portfolio is nailed down, you know, have a good lawyer, um, that you can contract out with, have somebody on speed dial who can help you with the regulatory issues, but you absolutely need to have somebody from the business standpoint who can help you navigate that weird corporate world that as a scientist, you're, you're simply not prepared for. Right. Because I can imagine, I'm certainly not an expert in this, but you can just observe people and understand this, that a person is with something to pitch has some phenomenal technology is probably considered at the top of their field or near the top among the best um, and is now has to recognize that they're moving that whole thing into a different world where other people are at the top and to be successful you need to work together and uh, and you'll need lots of different types of expertise to make the whole thing work right and you will learn a lot of that business uh, you'll learn the finance and the regulatory pipeline. And similarly, the people coming out of Wharton with their MBAs are going to learn a lot of the science. And of course, it may never be 100%, um, but you know, you're going to get some, some cross-pollination. But you know, that still means being willing to listen to people who have done it, as you said, uh, people who have experience in, in, in spinning off companies and, and especially exiting who have run through that whole process because it's just it's a different world. I'm sure. And is there is there something that the funders or the uh, investors would say to new entrepreneurs that they they wish they knew before they before they came to the investors? Like what what are they missing in their understanding of that world? Yeah, really good question. Um, it it kind of relates to the the previous answer about humility um, and and getting help with a lot of the different aspects that you might not be prepared for. But it's it's being realistic about what you're trying to do. So uh, one of the things that came up with a couple of the people that I spoke with was having realistic expectations on the valuation of your company. You know, it's easy to look at something, a marketplace where um, I don't have any hard numbers in front of me, so I'm just going to make this up off the top of my head. But let's say something like wound care or, um, you know, pain management where it's this billion multi-billion dollar industry. And you're going to say, we're going to capture X percent of that. Well, you don't really know what that looks like and you may be way over inflating that. And similarly, that doesn't mean that your company is worth 
you know, a huge amount of money. So, so you need to be able to do your homework. You need to understand how valuation occurs. You need to have a very clear understanding of the, of the market itself and what is realistic for you and this product uh, that you're developing to, to have a chance at, um, you know, every, every plan is going to, no, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Right. But right. Even so, um, you, you don't want to walk in with a bunch of BS numbers that, cause the investors are going to see right through that. Right. I mean, and so where, where would somebody go to get that knowledge? How would they, how would they do that before they make first contact with an investor? That yeah, that's a really good question. So there there are I think a lot of resources available. I mean certainly there are plenty of books on the subject of of pitching VCs, um, but I would strongly recommend looking for people in your industry. And some of this can even be you know just trolling around on LinkedIn, finding people in your area who who have some experience who have exited a life science company. You know, most cities at this point have, um, here in Nashville, it's called the Entrepreneur Center, but we'll have some kind of uh, entrepreneurial um, hub where startup companies, you know, meet and and work with mentors. Um, I mean, again, here in Nashville, it's it's heavily focused on tech and music and healthcare, but, you know, we're starting to get more and more life sciences. So, you know, seek out the the local resources because... What I found is that people are incredibly friendly. People are always willing to sit down and talk over coffee, and I can't speak for everyone, um, but you know that's that's often available. The other thing is, more and more regions are, are putting together uh, accelerator programs, which of course you have to apply for, but then also like mentoring programs where you have access to a network of people who have done this, and they can get you plugged in. And so again, here in Tennessee, uh, we have um, the Life Science Tennessee organization recently started up a mentoring network that's built on the San Diego Connect model. And so what we do is we come in, and it's it's all volunteer, it's all mentoring, and we work with companies at this very early stage when they're just developing the idea, and and answer the questions that you just asked. You know where. How do we figure out what the IP looks like? How do we get this experience before we go in front of investors? So, you know, dig around because uh, there's a lot of resources out there. Nice. I like that. And I like the idea that, you know, if you found people on LinkedIn or somewhere in your local community that they'd probably be happy to talk to you. Because I can imagine some um, entrepreneurs would would be hesitant to talk about their ideas mm-hmm. and for fear of many reasons. Um, but I can also imagine that in that community that, you know, people are excited about new technologies and they just, they just want to help other people. Someone almost certainly helped them. They want to pay it forward. And it's just an exciting community to be a part of. Yeah. And, and I may be naive, uh, you know, in my little non Boston, non Bay area bubble here in Nashville, but I've never run into anybody who's had a problem with, you know, I've never heard somebody come out of a coffee meeting saying, well, crap, they just stole my idea. I mean, the reality is most people, I would venture to say basically all people are going to be interested in helping you and they're not sitting there, you know, with a, a, 
a digital recorder under the table, just waiting for an idea that they can then run back to the office and steal. I mean, it just, it, it doesn't really work that way. Right. Um, which, which I should say for any lawyers who are listening, you know, they're going to perk their ears up at that. I mean, yes, you absolutely have to have your intellectual property nailed down. You've got to have a good lawyer. You have to protect yourself and your company. Um, but when you're getting advice and ideas, you know, people, people are actually pretty nice in, in this, this world of life sciences. Well, that's good to hear. Um, or at least, at least at the level, at least at the, the startup level, you know, people, people like to help other people, as you said, and, and you never know. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of physicians and dentists and, you know, people maybe who don't necessarily look like your typical business person. Um, but a lot of them have, have experience. Some of them have invested, uh, you know, pre-seed money. And so you never know when you're going to, going to run into somebody who has some expertise that you can tap into. Nice. No, that's, that's something I wouldn't have thought of. So, um, well, I, I love this conversation. I think it's been very helpful. I'm sure that it's going to be very helpful for the startup founders in the audience. So where David can listeners go to learn more about you and how, and the kinds of things you do to help them? Sure. So, uh, I am, I'm at uh, filamentcommunications.com and that is, yeah, that's the website. You can also find me personally on Twitter at D Schifrin. Um, right now, if you go there, you're going to see a lot about the Broncos Super Bowl and, and, um, the British soccer club Tottenham Hotspur. So don't let that freak you out. Um, and then filament is also <laughs> filament is also on Twitter and you can find all of those links, uh, through the website. Yeah. And I will put those links on the, uh, on the show notes for the, for this episode, of course. And I'm laughing because I just watched men in blazers last night and there was something going on with the Tottenham <laughs> Hotspurs. <laughs> And I just love their name. Um, they have been, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. They, they they've been phenomenal for soccer in America. I mean, you know, these two expat Brits who came here and they basically give us Americans what we think Brits should sound like. <laughs> um, and and they've done a great. I mean, actually, you know, it's funny that we talk about translating between two different cultures or two different environments, they are a perfect example of that, right? Where they, they take soccer and they make it accessible to American audiences while keeping their, you know, their, their Britishness <laughs> as uh, kind of the core thing. So, so there you go. We've come full circle. Yeah. Well, that explains it. We have a bunch of my British friends in our neighborhood that, and I didn't realize they were expats. Now it makes total sense how they described some team last night as having taken a great team and turned them into the Cleveland Browns of the Premier League, <laughs> which kind of hurt. But I got the, I definitely got the joke. So, yeah. all right. Well, David, thank you very much. Um, this has been a blast, and um, this has been a great conversation, and I really appreciate. Uh, your unique insight on startups and giving a pitch to investors. Thanks so much, Chris. It's It's been a great pleasure. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. Great episode today. I want to ask you one favor. If you are enjoying this podcast, first of all, you ought to be subscribed. I hope you've done that. But what I really want to ask you is if um, if you're enjoying it, tell two friends find two people that will get value out of listening to the types of people i'm interviewing on this podcast 
and get them to listen, get them to subscribe. The bigger the audience, the more people we can attract to speak, and uh, the better it is for everyone. And with that, I will wrap the show, and I will talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening.